asking him, probably a hundred or so. And it says, and when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Who includes that? Who puts that in your made up story? You know, a lot of people worshiped him, but you know, some just really didn't believe. Not if you make it up. You only include that if it actually happened. And if it only makes sense that it happened too, right? That, that it was difficult, that it was hard for some people to believe. From the beginning, belief in the resurrected Christ has faced doubts, questions, curiosity. And it does still today. And it's okay. If you're not sure, if you struggle, if you're like, I don't know how to make sense of this all, there, there are great resources out there to, to help you to think through it. And, and listen, Christianity is not, hey, jettison your brain and jump off into faith. No, there are reasons to believe in the resurrection. I believe when compared to, to investigated and compared to other explanations, as improbable as it seems, there's a lot of evidence on this side. I love the way that... Um, Sarah Bodville Rolls, who's um, associated with the BioLogos Forum, she's a research associate senior scientist specializing in evolutionary biology and education at Michigan State. After stating why she believed in the resurrection and that science and, and uh, faith are not mutually exclusive, she says, personally, I choose to believe that not all things worth knowing can be examined through sci the scientific lens, which makes faith entirely reasonable. Now listen, I love this. The entire gospel story is preposterous a radical and even offensive story of love that is unlike anything else, and I want to be a part of that story. If that hasn't hit you, if you're a Christian and that hasn't hit you, that this story is crazy. It really, truly is. But it's also true, and it's powerful, and it changes lives. Even during COVID, I remember the last Sunday we locked down, like right as last Sunday we met, a guy showed up, non-religious background completely, uh, had been brought by a friend uh, to, to church, and um, I ended up connecting with him, meeting with him, and, and watching the Christ, the risen Christ, move in his life and change his life. I met with him for hours and hours and hours. He had so many questions. I loved it. We were on Zoom. I had two hours of meetings with him, and I loved every minute of it because he has so many good questions. And I remember it was about three or four weeks in, he looked at me, uh, he asked a question, I answered it, and he said, you know, I think three or four weeks ago, I would have pushed back on that and said, I'm not so sure. But I think I believe that now. <laughs> and it was so amazing. I got to baptize him uh, last, last fall um, in my backyard. Uh, but it was just a picture. He, he, can't, he encountered the resurrected Jesus. There was literally no reason for him to become a Christian. He was a successful, brilliant, very sharp, very capable young uh, dude who, whose life was going well by every benchmark you could look at. Internally, he wasn't this person with addictions and you know, weakness. The people we kind of look at and go, oh, well, of course they need Jesus. But a person that we would look at in the city and say, no, they're doing well. And yet, he met the resurrected Christ. And this is what we're saying when we say the Apostles' Creed. We declare, I believe, we, I believe that Jesus Christ, everything he said, everything he did was true. Not just objectively out here in my head, but personally, there is a subjective aspect of the Christian life. If you've not encountered the risen Christ, 
He has not made you, brought you into himself, made you a new creature in himself, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If you're not a new creature, you don't have a sense of being new in Christ, not perfect, but new, then, then maybe you haven't actually encountered Christ. And I know this because I've, I've had a, a, a pastor since I was 23 years old. It was terrible. It was like giving a seven-year-old a chainsaw. Um, but but I, I did pastor a small church in Kentucky. And, uh, and I remember just people over the years who ended up coming to faith, they're like, you know what? I believed it in my head. I kind of knew it. I'd been immersed in it. I'd studied it. I went to Sunday school as a kid, but it never had been real to me until today or until this time, until I felt like Jesus showed himself to me. So we believe that Jesus rose from the grave. We believe that he really, 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 truly rose from the grave. And there's two implications I want us to see in this passage in 2 Corinthians 5 today from that. The first is that Christ is risen, so now we live for him. We live for the risen Christ. In this passage, Paul was debating with, with the, some of the religious leaders in Corinth. Uh, if you want to read an interesting, Paul, First and Second Corinthians is Paul arguing, debating, struggling with the Corinthian church and with leaders within the Corinthian church, which were misleading the people. Um, and he's debating at this point about whether he they're like, hey, Paul's self-serving. And he's like, no, I'm not self-serving. I'm not trying to serve myself. I'm not trying to, I'm serving you. I'm serving Christ, is what he says. And then in verse 15, 14 and 15, he says, the love of Christ controls us. And Christ, he died for all that those who might, might uh, live, who live, might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The love of Christ controls us. What an image there. That's not the, the love of Christ informs us. The love of Christ influences us, controls. That's, 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 that's absolute, isn't it? That's not, hey, it's, it's kind of some ideas we have or some you know, influences in our lives, but the love of Christ and how does the love of Christ control us? The love of Christ controls us because now we are in Christ. I could go through the, the last four verses in this chapter, and it's for Christ, in Christ, with Christ, for Christ, for Christ, with Christ, in Christ. Like It's like seven times in four verses, all of those ideas of who you are as a new Christian. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Well, that new creation now is, is controlled by the love of Christ that, get, that brings that new creation. Listen, Jesus didn't come to give us a spiritual makeover. He didn't come to, you know, you know those shows, right? Like where they, where they take a house and they fix the house up or they take the person and they kind of fix them up and they, they give them some new clothes and, you know, makeup or dress, they cut their hair different or whatever. And it's like, oh, they're so different. But they're still the same person underneath. That's not what Jesus does. Jesus literally transforms us. We were once one thing, now we're something else. We were once not loved, now we are loved. We were once an old creature of one kind, and now we are a new creature of a different kind. So now life is lived in light of him, in that love, the controlling love of Christ. So our life is now lived for him. Yet, despite the fact that every Christian comes to faith through the understanding of grace, that, that they did nothing they have nothing to contribute to God, that it's only Christ's work that, that we're forgiven and brought into his family. Yet we fall back into an ethic, a work ethic, don't we? 
How many of us feel like that if we could just get ourselves together a little bit better, God would love us a little bit more? Like really, how many of us right now sitting here see God as a cosmically disappointed dad who's just just wishes he's really in love with the future version of you. He doesn't love you today. He loves that future version. Yeah, one day I'm finally going to fix him, you know, or her, and then, then, you know, they'll come into the kingdom with me, and yeah, that's the one I'm in love with. No. No. That's not the gospel. Because if that's the gospel, then it's up to you to work yourself to God. It's up to, to, for you to work yourself. Look, God, I'm reading my Bible every day. Look, God, I'm doing all these things. Aren't you so proud of me, God? Do you know what that makes God? It makes a God who's just waiting for you to earn his approval. A God who's just waiting for you to do enough so he will love you. No, the gospel is that God has loved us, so now we obey. Not we obey, so God will love us. And yet, even though we come to Christ through that concept that all my work is nothing, we will fall back into the works. We do. That's not what it means to live for Christ. To live for Christ means that the gospel was not just real to you at the moment that you became a Christian, the moment that you came to trust that all he had done on the cross took care of all of your sin. It is living in that. It is walking in that. J.D. Greer uses the illustration of a friend paying your debt. He says, imagine you come home, you've been gone all day, you come home, there's a good friend uh, sitting on the doorstep. And uh, they look up at you and say, oh, hey, glad, to, glad you got back. While you were gone, someone stopped by. You owed him a little money. Uh, I took care of it. Don't worry. You owed him some money. I took care of it. So don't worry. Now, how would you respond to that? Well, it would kind of depend on the debt, right? If, 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 they, if they said, well, you know what? The DoorDash guy from last night stopped back by, and you shortchanged him by a buck, so I paid him. You'd be like, hey, <laughs> thanks. Appreciate that. Um, but if they said, hey, the mafia stopped by with three henchmen, they were going to kill you because you owe them $1.5 million for your gambling debt, which is out of control. But I paid them off, so you're good. Completely different response, right? Entirely different. Why? Because the debt that was paid changes the way you think about the person that paid that debt. And when we see that Jesus died to pay the debt uh, that we owed and then rose from the grave so that his new life becomes our new life, what can we say to him? But I love you and I will do anything for you. I want to know you. I want to walk with you. Most of us don't dwell on what Christ did for us enough. We know it in our heads but we don't know it in our hearts. And that may be you today. You might be saying, you know what? That's me. I'm I'm not experiencing this. I'm a Christian, but I'm not experiencing this, this resurrected life you're talking about, this new creation you're talking about, this living for him you're talking about. I, COVID was hard. I'm discouraged. I'm struggling. I'm weak. I'm lonely. I'm afraid. I'm anxious. I'm fearful. I'm carrying around wounds that I've never dealt with. Maybe that's you. And the glory of it is that that's where the gospel meets you. I love this. That, 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 that the gospel is not, 
for those who are self-dependent and self-assured. This living for Jesus is not, hey, pull yourself together and try real hard now, come on. No. Living for Jesus is also living by Jesus. It's not just living, it's not just experiencing his grace once. It's saying, I need your grace today. I need your help today. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 10, 9 and 10, where he's, he's talking about his own, the, what he calls the thorn in the flesh. Uh, and he says, Jesus said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. Not just when you got saved. Paul's saying, right now I've been struggling with this thorn in the flesh. And, and Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ might rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecution, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That's counterintuitive, isn't it? We live in a city that says, when you're strong, then you're strong. When you got it together, you got it together. But, but this says, when you're weak, when you're tired, when you're afraid, when you're anxious, when you're overwhelmed, when you're dragging wounds around you with you that you've never dealt with, that's where Jesus can meet you. But he can't meet us if we're not looking to him. The problem is that we, we, we let all of this define us and feel like God's disappointed in us and if we could just try harder and we could just get this together, then we could really know what it's like to experience uh, a life with Christ. But that's not the gospel again. We need to stop seeing our weakness as an obstacle but instead seeing it as a catalyst for Jesus' resurrection power. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, lives in me, right? The invitation today is to live for him precisely because Jesus rose from us, rose for us from the grave. And the question is, will we embrace that? Or will we still fall back into our own efforts and our own self-sufficiency and our dependency on ourselves? You know, your dependency, self-dependency, is the greatest obstacle to your God dependency. Your sense of, I've got this, I'm, I'm going to manage to get this together, I'm going to achieve, I'm going to win, I'm going to whatever, that's the greatest obstacle. Because it is you asserting yourself where you actually need Jesus to assert himself. Your life is about Christ. And you have access now to the power of Christ. And yet again, we feel ashamed. We feel ashamed. When, when you sin, when you're aware of sin and sin comes to your mind and your heart, do you run to Christ or do you hide? Because Adam and Eve hid. But in Christ, do you know your, your sin's the least surprising thing to Jesus? You know why? Because he died on a cross for it. <laughs> he knew it. The cross stands as Jesus outing you forever. You are a sinner that needs grace. What if we actually lived in that? Free, not hiding, not ashamed. We could think about the kind of church community that creates where we're not walking around with fig leaves trying to protect ourselves from each other, trying to make other people think we have it together, but we can actually say, I blew it this week. I failed this week. 
and Jesus met me. You know, I had a, a, a two-year-old, a friend whose uh, two-year-old daughter this week had a completely unexpected seizure. She was, uh, they, she wasn't acting right at night. She just didn't seem to feel right. So they, they brought her into her bedroom, their bedroom, and uh, until she fell asleep, they were like, "Oh, we'll wait till she falls asleep. We'll take her into her room." But she ended up having a seizure, full on. You know, eyes rolling back in the head, teeth clenched, unresponsive, shaking violently. Um, fortunately, an ambulance got there. They, you know, they were able to, uh, uh, they were able to care for her. And then the ambulance, they cared for her. And then they went to the hospital. And, you know, this couple was there at the hospital with them until it was about a day later. She came, she came home. Now she has a fever. And uh, fortunately, the doctor thinks it was just a, one of these really rare things that happens to small children her age. So that's great news. But could you imagine this little girl? She comes home, says, Mommy, Daddy, I'm so sorry I had a seizure. I'm sorry I really, I really put you guys out the other night. Like, you didn't get any sleep. Uh, now you have a hospital bill. I'm so sorry. You would, you would think, oh my gosh, how does this little girl think about her parents? Right? You'd be really brokenhearted for a little girl that feels like she needs to apologize to her parents for being sick. Why? Because it's a parent's delight to care for their children. Loving parents love their kids, even when they're sick. And Jesus loves us, even in our weakness. This is what it means to live for him. It is living in the weakness, honest with our, about our struggles, and living in light of his resurrection power that's in us. And secondly here, but lastly, um, the second implication is that Christ is risen, so we live to now to make him known. This is what it, it, if this is what it means to live a life for Christ, what we just talked about, right, what I just laid out for you, if that's what it means to actually live for Christ, the resurrected king, who died and rose for you. So now you live for him. And that's what it means. What could be more natural for you than to want to let other people know about him? What would be more natural for you than to want all of your friends and all of your family to know him? And this is what Paul is saying here. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, that is, in Christ... God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting the trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So we've been given the ministry and the message. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. So Christ, this is crazy. Christ who redeems us in our weakness, in our brokenness, uh, meets us, saves us, and his resurrection power now lives through us, and we live for him, and we live by him in his grace, he says, you know what? That message I've entrusted to you now to take to others. I've, I've instilled, I've, 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 I've in, in, imbued you with this, with this message to take to the world. You're, you're an ambassador, right? An ambassador. What does an ambassador do? They don't hang around their homeland. They go to a foreign country. They represent their king. They, they speak and they act on behalf of their king. 
And that's what we are, ambassadors. Listen, there are very real earthly needs in our city, and I'm not discounting them. Poverty, injustice, family brokenness, abuse, racism, all of these issues that plague our city that that need to be addressed. They're important. But the greatest single need of every person in this city is to be reconciled to God. The greatest need. Because eternally, they are separated from God today. City on a Hill Church was started to know Christ and to make him known. To be a countercultural community within the city that displays the gospel of Jesus and declares the gospel of Jesus. We display by the way we love one another, the way we serve our city, and we declare the gospel. This is why we do what we do. This is why we, who we are. We serve because Jesus served us. We love others because others have loved, uh, Jesus loved us. We go into the dark places because Jesus came into the dark places for us. That's the gospel. We share the gospel. And every person in our city needs the chance to hear and respond to the good news of the gospel of Christ. Because how can they receive it if they never hear it? A couple weeks ago, or a few weeks ago, I read a um, story. <laughs> kind of shocked me, actually. I just I had to take it in for a minute because of how the, the implications for it. You'll get it, I'm sure. But there's a story of, a, of an Oregon woman who um, died homeless. She was unaware that she had an unclaimed $884,000 inheritance. She had been struggling with mental illness and drug abuse for years. She was in a warming shelter one night when she died. The message didn't reach her. The message that resources that surely could have uh, paid for health care, that could have paid for mental health care, to, that could have given her a home, that could have given her food, that could have taken care of every need she was dying from, that message never reached her. And I think about people in our city right now who are struggling with loneliness, struggling with depression, struggling in their marriage, struggling in their work, struggling with, with insecurities and, and wounds and abuse and struggles of, of every imaginable kind, and they don't know that there's a God who can redeem them out of all of that. They don't know that there's a, there's a Savior, a King who has died and who has risen from the grave and wants to give them new life in Him. They don't know it. And our job is to take it to them. Take it. Be ambassadors in our homes and our neighborhoods and our workplaces to take the gospel there. Yes, it's hard. Yes, it, people are going to look at you weird. If you don't think the gospel's weird, you don't get it. It's weird. If you've not ever, this is, I don't know if this has ever happened to you. I've been talking to someone and who's not a Christian. And, and again, vast majority of non-Christians are glad to talk about your faith, let you he hear what you believe. That's fine, as long as you're not like, you got to believe this right now. And that's where you get in trouble. But, but they'll listen to what you believe, especially if they're a friend. But if you've not been telling someone, I remember telling, this is happened shortly after moving to Boston, really, for the first time. I was explaining to someone, no religious background, explaining to someone the gospel, and I thought, I sound crazy. <laughs> Anybody else? The gospel sounds crazy. 
but it's exactly the message that God uses to save people like me. And honestly, if he hadn't saved me, I'm not sure I wouldn't believe it, right? If he hadn't met me, if his spirit hadn't convicted me of sin, if his spirit hadn't regenerated my heart, I, I couldn't have believed it. 2 Corinthians 4.13, we believe, therefore we speak. That's what Paul says. We believe, therefore we speak. We believe today the Apostles' Creed. Every word we affirm as truth because it reflects this, right? It's not because it's some ideas that we hold to. It's because we reflect, it reflects the Word of God. But we hold to these truths. The question today is, do we live for the Christ that we affirm? And does the Christ in, in the Apostles' Creed live in us? Does the resurrected power of Jesus help us to live for him? So today, if you've never experienced this message, if you've never received uh, Christ, you've never been made a new creature, the message is for you today. It, it's gone forth for 2,000 years. It's been preached. I couldn't even imagine counting how many Sundays in how many churches around the globe for 2,000 years this message has been preached. And God has used, in, in 1 Corinthians, Paul calls it the foolishness of the gospel to save. And maybe today, that message is making sense for the first time. And the good news is the invitation is for you to come, for you to come to, to confess your sin, to confess all, these bro, all this brokenness, and to come before Christ and look to him and believe that he took your, your, your sin on the cross and that he rose from the grave to give you new life and that that new life can live in you right now. But if you're a Christian, I want to challenge you. Listen, there is nothing in this world that's going to push you to living for Christ. You come here for an hour and a half on Sunday, and, and that is it. Your work is not going to encourage you to pursue Christ. Your home life, your, your, your money is not going to pursue, encourage you to pursue Christ. The culture is not going to encourage you to pursue Christ. So, so I want to challenge you today. Do you live for him? Do you really, really believe the resurrected Christ lives in you and he has power available to you this week for all of your weakness? If not, I want to encourage you to repent of not believing that. I want you to encourage you to, to, to lay down those things maybe you've been trusting to give you that peace and strength and look to Christ in this time. Let's pray together. Father, we know in your word, Paul tells us we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God, to you, and not to us. So today, as we recognize that we are jars of clay, we are weak, we are grateful for this treasure of the crucified and risen Christ who lives in us, who meets us, in our weakness, he gives us life where there was death. Help us to live for him today. Help us to live for you, Jesus, fully, today and tomorrow, until we see you face to face. In your name we pray, amen.